60 Minutes coming up in about 10, 15 minutes, talking some of what she did on 60 Minutes a few weeks ago about how uh, Afghanistan's as bad as it's ever been since she's been reporting from there. Right. The opposite of some of what we're being told. We've spent a trillion dollars. So more on that coming up. So I'm torn on this Ben Franklin and his, his system of virtues. This is a perfect thing to devote an entire half hour, two segments to. Or your life. In fact, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, a founding father, but not a member of Congress, not a lawmaker, not a president. No. In many ways, you know, just an intellectual leader, thinker, well, and an important ambassador, too. Um, but so we don't really have time to do this fully. So do I go through it really, really quickly? Or do we just hold off until tomorrow and, and do it, you know, more thoroughly? Why don't you give me a taste of it? Okay. All right. <clears throat> don't get hung up on the system here. But what Ben Franklin did, and he credits all of his success to practicing 13 core life virtues. Yeah, but what did he ever do? Yeah. 13 virtues. Ever heard of the post office? You know. (laughs) Slowing you down. I'm sorry. You think you'd have a little respect for the great man. Great political thinker, scientist. Got laid a lot when he was the ambassador to France. Fellas, come on. So, listen, he carried around in his pocket a simple table with seven columns and 13 rows on it. The seven columns were the days of the week. Each row represented one of the 13 virtues he wanted to work on. During the day, he'd glance at these virtues a time or two to keep them fresh in the mind. Then at his mind. Then at the end of the day, he'd pull out a pen, go through the virtues, asking himself if he'd actually practiced them during the day and marking the box if he had done so. Wow. His goal was to fill as many boxes as possible each week. But wait, not all the charts were identical. In fact, he had 13 variations of the chart, which he cycled through every 13 weeks. This is the part not to get hung up on. Getting a little complicated. But it just goes to show what kind of mind he had. Uh On top of each variation of the card was listed one virtue, which was the main one he wanted to practice that week, along with a description of that virtue to remind him. For example, one week he might focus on frugality, the other week uh, temperance, etc. He'd reflect on recorded success with all 13 virtues each week, but wouldn't intentionally focus on the, the key virtue. Then he'd review the cards as a whole at the end of the week, and then at the end of 13 weeks, he had 13 weekly cards to review. So he'd do essentially a quarterly review of how he was doing with the 13 virtues. I think this all comes down to they didn't have cable then. <laughs> Or the internet. I had nothing to do. I tell you what. This is the freaking way to live. I don't doubt it, but can you hit us with the 13 virtues? No. Because I don't want to run out. Because we got to no, break on time. because of your cynicism. Because we have Laura Logan. we got to break on time. I just yes, want to know course. what the 13 virtues are. All right, here we go. And if you want to substitute a couple, you know, that's up to you. Uh, temperance. Eat not to dullness, Jack. <laughs> Drink not to elevation, Joe. (laughs) Eat not to dullness. Drink not to elevation. Every time I do that, I'm happy. When I don't eat that I'm so full and kind of slow and everything like that, I think, good job. Yeah, no kidding. And certainly later after the meal, I think, why can't I do that all the time? Reminding you there are 12 more. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Silence. Speak not, but what may benefit others or yourself. Avoid trifling conversation. Mm. That's funny. I'm... I actually have a New Year's resolution that deals with that kind of in the other direction. I've got to be, I've got to take in more humanity. 
take in more humanity. I, I tend to isolate myself. Oh, I okay. want to sit alone and think. Very, and, you know, make music or whatever, and I, I end up isolated. Very few people's New Year's resolution is to take in more humanity. That's not exactly the way I phrased it to myself, but moving along. Order. Let all of your things have their places. Let each part of your business have its time. That's the thing I'm I'm really trying to work on is order. That was a part of my spring cleaning, cleaning up the yeah. Right. I'm, I'm really trying to get stuff. Let not all your chaotic. things have their places, Sean. Let each each part of your business have its time. Resolution. Listen to this one here. Resolve to perform what you ought to, and perform without fail what you resolve. Say that again. Resolve to perform what you ought to. Mm-hmm. Perform without fail what you've resolved. Mm. Prioritize carry through. You know, right. yeah, discipline. Frugality. Make no expense, but to do good to others or yourself. Waste nothing. Yeah, that other one reminds me of the idea of your your real priorities are what you do, not what you say. Mm. You can talk about all the time about various priorities, but if that's not what you're doing with your time, wow, doesn't mean anything. Nice. Industry. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. Boy, I've I've tried that at various times, and like I can keep that going for a period, and then like I, I just I gotta I. And have a breakdown. If you need to rest and clear your mind, though, that is useful. In fact, that's critical. That clearing can drag on. (laughs) Yeah, I've noticed. (laughs) Trust me. Um, Let's see. What time is it? Okay, we're good. Sincerity. Use no hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly. And if you speak, speak accordingly. Be sincere. Justice. Oh, that'll work. I'm so disappointed in you. Justice. Wrong none by doing injuries or omitting the benefits that are your duty. To quote Mark Twain, always do what's right. This will gratify some and astonish the rest. This is pretty interesting. If I'm an anti-religious person, which I'm not, but if I'm an anti-religious person, I would use this as an example of how you can have uh, morality in society without religion and God, because Ben Franklin was not uh, a religious man. Right. And, he, and a lot of this stuff is straight out of the good book. Right. Straight out of church. So always justice. Moderation. Avoid extremes. Forbear resenting injuries so much as you think they deserve. Um, uh, avoid taking positions or behaving ways that bring harm toward others unless you intentionally are bringing harm. Right. That's in a good which one. case, be careful in the amount of harm you bring. That's a good one. Yeah. That's, the detail of this, which I wish we had time for, is really good. Cleanliness. It's an obvious one. Wash your craw. That's right. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents, common or unavoidable. Yeah, Don't catastrophize. That's a good one. Don't make a big effing deal out of everything. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Which I'm trying to remind my kids, since they're of the social justice warrior uh, age group, that that trend, that fad is not healthy. Well, plus, I I was doing that with my own kid last night. The the battery was dead on his Kindle, and he was falling apart because he'd really been looking forward to playing on the Kindle. Right. Talking about all the good things that happened through his day and how this is kind of a minor thing compared to this and that. Chastity. Rarely use venery, but for health or offspring. Oh, I'm overusing my venery. Right. What the hell does that mean? Well, we got to move along. Oh, okay. Humility. Imitate imitate Jesus and Socrates, said the not terribly religious Ben Franklin. Jesus and Socrates. Undersell and over-deliver in everything you do. Don't talk about how great you are, Mr. President. Instead, be great and give abundant credit to others. Is it, 
Are you sure it was only 13? This seems like we're into the 20s somewhere. <laughs> you, you, knowing when to keep your mouth shut is a virtue. And make your own virtues if you want to add some yeah. to the, the table. I would like to hear more on each of those. It, there should be an entire book written on this, obviously. Uh, actually, there is kind of his autobiography. I've read his autobiography. I don't recall this. He must not have laid it out as clearly. And thou hast taken no heed to thine reading, said Ben Franklin. <laughs> Laura Remember Logan. what thou hast read. Uh, we found out on 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago that Kabul is more dangerous than it was when she first started going there, and we've spent a trillion dollars on it. We're going to talk to Laura Logan of 60 Minutes coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. This is Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. People think because I... The Armstrong and Getty Show. In all of the years we've been coming to Afghanistan's capital city of Kabul, it's never been this dangerous. So dangerous that American personnel rarely drive on the city streets. That's from 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago, in which we all found out that things are going the wrong direction in Afghanistan, specifically in Kabul there. Yesterday in the L.A. Times, because we talked about this story, in a reversal, Pentagon releases data showing growing insurgency in Afghanistan. Somebody decided not to give us the information that shows that things aren't going well. Now, uh, somebody's claiming that's human error. I, I don't know if I believe that or not. That was just a mistake. Oh, no, we meant to put that out. Uh, I think there was public backlash to it being hidden, but some of the information that is now out was released uh, two days ago. After 16 years of war, only 56% of Afghanistan's 407 districts are under control of the central government. Lara Logan is a correspondent for 16 Minutes. Her credentials as a foreign correspondent are unimpeachable. She is one of the great truth-tellers in a world of echo chambers and uh, joins us now. Lara, welcome. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's certainly our pleasure. Um, tell us about your perceptions of Afghanistan today, and if you can identify any sort of trends. How do they feel to you? How do they look to you? Well, the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, administrations concealing information that they believe is unhelpful to their mission is um, is as old as the war itself. Um, and I, I don't think there's been a moment I've been there on the ground where that hasn't been happening. And so that doesn't surprise me um, in the least. In fact, it's, it was just an incredible frustration over the years, one one successive administration after another. So, and, and what I... You know, you know, what's difficult for me is that I remember Afghanistan when it was in the hands of the Taliban, when they held 95% of that country. And so every promise that the U.S. has made is indelibly printed, not just on my mind, not as a personal thing, but because if you know the Afghans, it's imprinted on their minds. They never forget. This is a nation that doesn't forget and um, where relationships, personal relationships, and mean an extraordinary amount. And it's very difficult to understand that because Afghans also make many, you know, alliances of convenience and change sides. They're famous for that, for the saying that you can buy an Afghan, I mean, you can rent an Afghan, but you can't buy him. 
but their memories are long. And so, yes, they remember the time of the Taliban, but uh, they also remember when the U.S. first came in there, and they remember what things uh, were like. And right now, um, there is a lack of faith in the Afghan government, which is not really surprising because, you know, it's widely believed in Afghanistan that President Ghani didn't actually win the election. He was, uh, it was stolen and uh, with the help of the U.S., so it's not, you know, it's not surprising that he would lack legitimacy. But every time you have another um, series of very, very uh, devastating bombings in the capital and so many people dying, it shakes um, the government again to its foundations. And um, and the U.S. has is struggling to deal with that. It's not an easy task by any stretch. It's easy for us to stand and criticize. But over the years, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like a recorder. I don't forget what promises we've made and what promises we've broken. And my job is to hold whoever happens to be in power or influencing those decisions to account. Well, the obvious promise not kept, I'd imagine, is that we will keep you safe and you will not be afraid for your lives. Yes. I mean, and to a degree, you know, you could argue from the other side, well, how can we keep everybody safe, you know? Um, and it's certainly a lot safer now in many respects than it was. I mean, people forget in this country what Afghanistan looked like under the Taliban. And I can tell you, when I went into that city with the Afghans, when they took, they did the fighting on the ground and they took their country back, um, there wasn't a pane of glass in a window in Kabul that I recall seeing. You know, and today it's an extraordinarily different city, far from perfect, but it's gone, you know, from 500,000 to around 5 million, some say more than that. And um, that's incredible. Yeah, I'd forgotten that stat you hit us with on 60 Minutes. I I didn't realize it was that small then and this big now. Well, and it's not so much that small then, it's just that it's been, it had been beaten almost into dust. And that's the people along with the buildings. You know, it had a grayness and a brown to it that I can't even describe. And uh, the buildings and the orphanages and the places like that that I went into, the human cost of what the Taliban did to its own people and, uh, you know, is unimaginable. So, I mean, I really... I'm one of those that just doesn't want to see it go back to that because um, it was such a terrible human price. But at the same time, you know, my personal feelings, I try to put those aside. I mean, obviously, my personal feelings drive um, my going back there over and over and over again because I do think it's important and I do think that the truth about what's happening there is important. And it's very frustrating to see that buried when you're, you know, on the U.S. side and you see what people are fed and what they're willing to believe about the reality there. It's, you know, sometimes it's almost laughable. Well, I hate to wax too philosophical since you know so much, you know, facts and figures and that sort of thing. But civilizations do go backward. I mean, you look at Kabul in the 1960s, for instance, a thoroughly modern in every way city. Yep, they do. I mean, things fall apart. The center cannot hold, right? Chinua Achebe was the Nigerian writer said that. Mm-hmm. Laura, Le- Laura Logan, 60 Minutes correspondent, is with us. To look at it from a, na- a, a national security perspective, just of the United States, me as a U.S. citizen taxpayer, is it mm-hmm. important that we continue to work on fixing Afghanistan? There are a lot of ungovernable uh, places in the world where the people have miserable lives and we're not we're not trying to fix them is it important i guess the main question is the taliban if they run the country are they hell bent on attacking the united states or do they just want to run afghanistan you know it's so interesting that we 
keep having this conversation because that was exactly the same conversation the U.S. had with itself before 9-11. So I, I can't answer it personally. What I can tell you is what the Taliban themselves have told me and the evidence that I have seen from the battlefield. The Taliban has never ever renounced al-Qaeda. They've never renounced al-Qaeda's ideology or their agenda. They've never embraced the Afghan constitution. Never. And they continue to work hand in hand and side by side. A couple of years ago, when General Campbell, the last commanding general, was still there, in October of that year, he his forces with Afghan special operations uncovered the largest al-Qaeda base ever found anywhere on the planet. And it was more than 30 square miles. The Taliban was entrenched inside the base. They had people there. In fact, the number two um, of the Taliban also sits on, Al- uh, on Al-Qaeda, inside Al-Qaeda, um, and some of their councils. They, they have, there's overlap of uh, fighters. There's overlap of leadership. The ideology um, is embraced by both of them. So you tell me, right? I mean, I, I'm not a prophet, I can't predict what's going to happen in the future. I can tell you, of course, what General Nicholson argued in the story is that the core of the ideology that drives every one of these attacks all over the world and in the United States comes from this patch of ground on the other side of the world. So do we, do we prevent that by staying there? Is that the answer? I cannot tell you that. I can tell you what, you know, every, every single general who's been there has told me, um, if we leave Afghanistan without finishing the job here, this will come home to us. Do you believe that? You know, I mean, that's, that every, every individual has to make that decision for themselves. I can just tell you that it's, it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day when you're covering it. Right. And it's a little bit frustrating in that sense. Hank Crumpton, who was the former head of counterterrorism for the CIA, then went on to be the ambassador at large for counterterrorism for the State Department. Hank Crumpton will tell you, I've seen this movie. You know, um, go back to uh, Charlie Wilson's war. Charlie Wilson would have told you before he died, I've seen this movie. Um, so that's something that we have to decide, um, I guess, as a nation. Um, but I just want people to be able to make that decision based on reality sure. and based on facts and oh. based on the truth. And that's been, uh, you know, hard in short supply on Afghanistan over the years, well, and not a- just now. Amen to that. And as a couple of guys who've been following this on a daily basis um, from a distance, but both members of military families, I don't have the slightest interest in the rosy pronouncements of administrations. I would really like to hear somebody say, look, this is one of the ugliest neighborhoods on the planet. A lot of bad people live there. You got Pakistan next door, Indian Pakistan ready to jump ugly at the slightest provocation, etc. We can't let that area go to hell. We're never going to fix it. We're just going to police the hell out of it. I'd like to hear somebody say that if that's the goal. And you could you could be absolutely right about that. The one thing that I would say that's different right now that I'm watching, and I don't know how this is going to play out, but this is the first time a U.S. administration has put Pakistan as a cornerstone of their strategy. We have uh, staffers on the Hill, on Senate Foreign Relations and other committees who for years, both under Bush and under Obama, peddled the same policy. You can't touch Pakistan because they've got nuclear weapons. I'm not really sure how they reconcile the fact that there are more terrorist groups on, in Pakistan than any other country on earth, you know, and, um, and, and, and so, and that policy has failed. We saw it fail under Bush, we saw it fail under Obama, uh, under Obama, and now 
it's time to see if a change in that policy is going to yield the results that Afghans desperately want, and quite frankly, that could make a difference to the U.S. Lo- I mean, you could, you could see Hamas on the terrorist list, but you don't see Pakistan on the terrorist list. Right. And you can go to Arlington Cemetery, and you can count the graves of Americans who were put there with the help of Pakistan and see the American blood on Pakistan's hands. So is this administration going, how are they going to enforce their policy, and how will they hold the Pakistanis to account? That is is really one of the most critical aspects of this. Laura Logan, correspondent for 60 Minutes. Laura, we could talk all day, but we're out of time, and I'm sure you're busy. Thanks a million. Really no, enjoyed it. I can it. talk all day on this subject. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'd like to hear it, actually. Let's do it again soon. We would love that. Okay. okay. And uh, by the way, uh, how's that TV show of yours going? Uh, fine. Coming along. <laughs> Couldn't be better. Thank you. Good to talk, as always. Hmm? All right. We got to go to break. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Darn it. I don't know what that was about. Yeah, uh, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. From the text line, schedule an hour to speak with Laura Logan again. Most informative interview on Afghanistan I've heard. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it gets talked about so little, I don't believe the word Afghanistan was mentioned in the State of the Union address. We've spent a trillion dollars in Afghanistan. And the justification has been this fantasy dream that we're going to turn it into some sort of stable republic with a functioning government, military, police force, etc. When there's been really no sign that that's... You know, achievable within the next twenty years. I just, I, I would just like some honesty. I follow this stuff a lot, and her description of the interaction between the Taliban and Al Qaeda, I hadn't come across anywhere. Right. Um, her reminder that administrations of both uh, parties have been misleading the public wildly at every turn right. is worth knowing. Yeah. We also got uh, this. Uh, hey guys, how's that uh, new restaurant going? Or, hey, guys, that's funny. How's your new line of athleisure coming along? You know what? It's good. It's good. So, I got to tell you, it's a little disappointing. So, we're excited. I'm excited. Look, I'm part of a radio show that gets Laura Logan to come on and talk to us. Right. And then at the end of the interview, she says, So, how's the TV show going? Which leads me to believe she thinks we were somebody else. <laughs> that's, that's worked for me my entire life. When people find out I'm actually me, things go down. <laughs> That was perfect. That's, that's a little disappointing. Uh, did we? Was that a joke, or did we talk earlier? But no, uh, no. I think she I thought think we were somebody thought else. I think we're somebody else. Yeah, and that's why she came on. And if she knew who we were, she wouldn't oh, have no. picked up the phone. Oh my god, you're paranoid. <laughs> no, she loves us. Uh, behind the scenes glimpse. <laughs> Dang it. Anyway, let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Uh, hashtag release the memo. Still waiting to see when it's going to drop. There's been no indication from the White House they're going to stand in the way of the release of the I House. I think we got to wait a week. Seriously. You think that's what yeah, it's going to turn you know, out? It was changed after the vote, and I think yeah. that's probably a legitimate gripe. So but, they'll have to go back and vote again. The debate is certainly <laughs> going on, but the White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly, is saying the president wants the public to be able to see the memo. This president, he wants everything out so the American people can make up their own minds. And if there's people to be held accountable, then so be it. There you go. So be it. We'll have to wait and see what's going to be happening here in the next 24 hours, whether it's going to be a five-day hold. I, I got to go back here, Marshall. Yeah. I can't get rid of this bad feeling I've got 
from her saying, "How's the TV show going?" That's funny. And, I'm just merely amused. And I don't, I've always, I just, it just, I just, it just occurred to me. I've always had this problem. If somebody mistakes me for somebody else, yeah. or something like, or something like that happens, I end up feeling horribly embarrassed and concerned. Oh, over for their mistake. Oh, how lovely and compassionate. Well, I don't know if that's compassion or some sort of weird inferiority complex or what. But Christ complex. Like, I have this terrible feeling that I've done something wrong when I didn't do anything wrong. I, I don't have a TV show. I, I, yeah, wow. Interesting. She thought we did for some reason. I don't know how she came to that conclusion, but I didn't make a mistake. Eh, she talks to a lot of people. Did we you had an Hansen. intelligent and stimulating conversation with a leading... A newsmaker. Wait a second. Nail this down. Executive producer Hanson, did you claim to her that we have like a primetime TV show? Is that how you got her to come on? You lying bastard, you. <laughs> she did research. I asked her. I said, my gosh. you, you." She goes, yeah, I don't F around. I know who I'm talking to. Okay. Yeah, so, Jack. Yeah. So on Wikipedia, yeah. does it still... Because we used to be on TV. We've been on TV a couple of different places. Oh, I wonder if yeah. she Wikipedia'd us and all that ridiculous stuff is still on there. Because it says on Wikipedia that I killed somebody once, right? Right. <laughs> right. She still came on. Yeah. yeah. She said that she loves Jim and John. <laughs> Shut up. Anyway... Back to oh. Marshall's news. All right, I want to get around to this story because this one, this one is uh, it will shake you up. Weeks after the false alarm sent Hawaiians scrambling, there's been another failure in its missile defense system. Oh yeah. This time, it was a test of an actual missile oh. interceptor, swinging a miss, which reportedly failed to shoot down its target. And remember the stats on that: we miss about half the time. It missed twice. We've got three tests in the last year. Missed twice. Got it once. Yeah, yeah because of the sorts of numbers that get you into the Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball. <laughs> and usually, I don't know about this test, but most of these tests, yeah. we're given a heads up. Yeah. Everybody knows, okay, yep. this is where it's coming from. Yep. This is the time of day. Everybody yep. be on alert. Are you ready? And then they miss. Right. Yep. And obviously, when we're attacked, we're not going to have that level of preparedness. So... If you walk around with the belief, like I do most of the time, that right. we're the world superpower, have the best military, this and that on Earth, we'll shoot that damn missile down before it hits us. It's oh, that's a stupid thing to think, right? And most this, likely is we won't. And this test was was uh, directed at a mock-up of what a North Korean missile would look like. It, we're we're trying to figure out how to hit one of their missiles. It's a hard thing, yeah. You know that you've heard it before. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to shoot a bullet with a bullet. Yep. Very hard to do. Yep. How do you know which missile is a North Korean missile? Well, the type. It's the one with the tapeworm. Oh, I... The <laughs> one with the tapeworm! <laughs> there you go. A little starvation oh, yeah. humor. There you go. All right. One last note. we got an L.A.-based parents group that wants Justin Timberlake to keep it clean during the Super Bowl <laughs> oh, halftime yeah. show. Yeah, I read part of this they yesterday. They have sent an open letter to the pop star, the Parents Television Council, saying they don't need a repeat of the infamous wardrobe malfunction of 2004 with Janet Jackson. No nipple. No uh, nipple. I don't care no. what some council needs. What about what I need? The so-called yeah. nipple gate, of course, was talked about for weeks and made international headlines. You know, unless you exclusively bottle-fed your kid, they've seen nipples before. I think we'll all be okay. Yeah, because of all the things that are going on in America, oh that's God. the biggest threat. Yeah. Is someone seeing a nipple again? Abreast! You got uh, 106 behemoths pounding their brains into jelly, and I'm supposed to worry about some woman's nipple. Let's come on now. All right, Justin, halftime show, Super Bowl. That's your news. I'm Marshall. He's got to show his nipples. Yeah, Marshall. if he doesn't, if yeah. he doesn't pull out, uh, <laughs> come on. he doesn't pull his shirt aside and show his nipple. Bare chested.
So like the ultimate flex would be Janet Jackson's his surprise guest, right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, she walks out and they just stand there and the crowd roars for like 15 minutes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and everybody laughs till they cry. <laughs> Roger Goodell would not have it. <laughs> All right, that is a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. I'm telling you, D in a box. Oh, boy. Reprises Saturday Night Live bit. Step one, you cut a hole in the box. <laughs> what then? <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Oh, God. Uh, so we got to catch up on a bunch of stuff. Uh, I hope the TV show's going well. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do well, too. Well, they told me I gotta wait. I gotta lose twenty five pounds. That was like five years ago. I'm trying. Uh, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Yep, President Trump gave his State of the Union address last night, and Bernie Sanders hasn't looked this unhappy since, uh, since the last time we saw Bernie Sanders. God, did you see any of the clips of Nancy Pelosi looking around to see if anybody was clapping or yes. not? Whoa! Yeah, there's one meme picture on the web of her chew- apparently chewing someone out, allegedly for clapping. I don't know whether that's accurate, but uh, if it is, whoo, well, that's I wouldn't way, want her mad at that's me. That's the way it works. I yeah. mean, that is the way it works. The leadership wants to know who's on board and who's not. Right. Um, back to Laura Logan briefly, who we just had on, and I've thought she is fantastic for, for, since the first time I saw her. I mean, and on Afghanistan particularly, she might be the best reporter that exists. And she's super passionate, as you heard about the topic. Right. Um, and so we just came up with this idea. We've been wanting to do a long form podcast, maybe on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because those things are pretty popular. It's, it's amazing to me, but there's a lot of you out there that are willing to listen to uh, a good guest with a good interviewer for an hour, two hours, three hours. I mean, some of these things get gazillions of hits. Sure, yeah. Uh, we've been wanting to do one where we would, you know, take somebody and talk to them for a whole hour, no commercials. And Laura Logan uh, said she'd be willing to do it, and she's somebody we could easily talk to for an hour. Love it. About Love a variety to of topics. Yeah. So hopefully we'll do that. And by maybe, the way, maybe, uh, you know, she'll be on our TV show. As so well. we know what she's talking about. Now. Oh, she saw in doing research. Look, this is good stuff here. She did some research to see who, what show she's going to be on. Wow. She came across the oh, videos. No. <laughs> oh, no. Wait a minute. Oh, no. She didn't see the videos we've been posting on Facebook, did yes, she? So she came across the videos oh, we've Lord. been making now for the last month or so, or however long that's been. And there's a bunch of them on Facebook. And if you haven't checked them out yet, you should. Uh, they're pretty funny or something. Uh, we did one yesterday that I thought was dang funny. So they're on Facebook, right? Yeah. 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 So either like them or you don't. Well, yeah, I just... I don't want to see what my radio people look like, because it's always a disappointment. But. You know, I, I'm not worried about that. I just... Uh, th- hmm. I find myself concerned because I I really like talking to Laura Logan, and I flatter myself that w- we had an intelligent and mutually uh, uh you know interesting conversation. 
Um, and then she sees the silly crap we do for Facebook. Right. I hope surely she uh, grasps that there are a couple of things in the world. The Daily Show with John Stewart was an example, and us that combine the completely serious with the utterly ridiculous. Yeah, it is what it is. No arguing with that. <laughs> Certainly isn't what it isn't. Yeah. Well said, Sean. <laughs> well, seriously, I mean, it, it's, you know, if you're going to look into what we are, that's what we are. Uh-huh. If I was so, reading into her tone, she seemed to, she said it with a, hey, how are those going? Like, I like those sort yeah, of things. Exactly. Oh, like, oh, clearly like true. Yeah. Clearly true. Yeah, yeah, well, that, I, that, I feel better now. Yeah. The reason she brought it up. It was because it made enough of an impression on her. She wanted to talk a little bit about that, is yeah. what the sense that I got. I, Dang I, it. If we'd have had more time, we could have talked a little bit about that. I think Joe's worried that she saw yesterday's video where his face is covered in, in lip. Oh, that was oh, gross. Yes. That was gross. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 I just, I feel like, you know, we're still... We're still in the early stages of the relationship, right? And I don't want her to realize my hobby is like taxidermy. Because it freaks people out. You know, I just, I wanted to keep things a little more uh, gentlemanly uh, uh, shirt and tie between us. And not me with my face smeared with Vaseline to make fun of Joe Kennedy. <laughs> that reminds me, I got a clip from the, uh, I got a clip from The Bachelor I want to play and have a comment about because one of the girls on there, she is a taxidermist. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's actually now, what wait she wait a is. minute. Um, the stuffing of dead beasts for display. What was that joke we had earlier? Oh, yeah, ask, uh, on the Joe Kennedy thing. Ask not what your country can drool for you. <laughs> ask what you can drool for your country, which is pretty funny. Both sides. Michael Savage came up with that. Yeah. Um, insurance companies want to know what are the least and most healthy states. That's not hard to imagine that life insurance companies have that data mm-hmm. for what they charge to uh, insure course, people yeah. or where they want to set up shop or that sort of thing. What's your... Uh, most uh, uh, average percent of insurance applicants who have a health condition. Okay, what's oh, your interesting? What's your most healthy two two most healthy states? I got right here: Colorado, uh, close, mm. Montana, and Wyoming. Really? Yeah. Hardy folk. I'm not exactly sure why, because right next. I mean, because I would make some guesses, mm-hmm. but I'd be wrong because I got the map in front of me. Right next door, in North Dakota is the least healthy. Brr. Now, is that all the people that went up there to work on that uh, fracking stuff? Maybe I don't know. Or Montanans just really cruel, and if you're the least bit weak, they throw you across the border. <laughs> Get to North Dakota with that cough. <laughs> <laughs> You limp on into Bismarck and get out of here. <laughs> They're health supremacists. Yeah. I don't know. I don't wow. even have a theory for that. Wow. North Dakota. Congratulations to Montana and Wyoming, where only 5.7% of the insurance applicants have a health problem. Better luck next time in North Dakota, where 12.4% of the life insurance applicants have a health condition. That's not I'm, explicable. I have yeah, There's got to be a reason. Mississippi's always at the top of those lists. North Dakota and life insurance applicants which were much more likely to smoke, be depressed, or have diabetes than the national average. But right next door in Montana with similar climate and terrain, they don't? I'm not sure I understand that. Maybe they're just bitterly jealous of South Dakota. Like population hubs about the same? Like same sort yeah, of like kind of city not, spread? Not a lot of difference. So What's the know. biggest city in North Dakota? Probably Bismarck. Bismarck. How many how many folks you reckon? I'm from South Dakota, yeah. and we think people who live in North Dakota are crazy. It's so cold up there, right? 
Who would right? live up there? <laughs> the unwell. Apparently. Yeah, the unwell. I don't know. The diseased. Uh, by the way, for states you live in, fairly healthy, uh, quite healthy, as a matter of fact, the the next tier of healthy for California, and then kind of in the middle for your Washington and Oregon and Arizona and Nevada. If we still care, Fargo is the biggest city in North Dakota. Of course, of course. 120,000. Of course. Bismarck, 72,000. There you go. Not of even course. close. Please. Yeah. How do you live in How Bismarck? Many in Fargo? There's nothing to do there. 120? The people in Fargo say, how do you live in Bismarck with right. nothing to do there? Right. Huh? Idiots. <laughs> Tell you what, I tried to talk to a Bismarckian the other day. It's like talking to a dog. I'm telling you. <laughs> Idiots. Oh, hey, speaking of Fargo, it's funny. I, w- I was talking a few days ago about I need to do a dump run, but I don't really have enough to do a proper dump run, and the stuff's too big for the regular trash, and we got an email I failed to read uh, from a bloke who said, Joe, Joe, it's the pleasures of the reciprocating saw, You'd like a sawzall. Just get a, a tough bastard blade and just whatever you got. That old office chair you mentioned, just saw that bastard in half. And then a- and then he said, I call it the Fargo method. Oh. A reference to the charming right. scene at the end of the original movie. But then you just put it in your regular, your regular trash chunk oh. at a time. Huh. Did not know that. It seemed like a really good excuse to buy a tool, which is the greatest pleasure any man can have. Uh, but my wife rolled her eyes while we were at Lowe's and wouldn't let me do it. So. I'd watch a bunch of videos of Joe sawing various things. Oh, sure. would you? Yeah. Maybe I could get it sponsored. Hey, Lowe's. Huh? But it's loud. Yeah. Sawing an office chair into chunks? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. If I ever get in a dispute with my neighbor, well, maybe I shouldn't say anymore. The award-winning fourth hour will be coming up. We'll get in some of the news of the day. There's still a chance that that memo gets released while we're on the air. Hashtag release the memo is going to lead to it being released. If your station doesn't get the fourth hour, boycott it. No, I'm kidding. You can grab the podcast. No problem. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How's that TV show of yours going?